You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Orlando Crowcroft, world editor at IB Times UK. Welcome to our new podcast, In the Field. Every week, we're going to be talking to journalists, stringers, and researchers and charity workers out there covering the stories that matter. This week, we're going to be looking at Iraq and the campaign for Mosul. My first guest is Campbell McDiarmid, a journalist who's lived in Erbil for two years and has covered the campaign since it began on November 1st. And my second guest is Rawaz Salahi. She works for Amnesty International and has been meeting refugees as they've left the city. Now, Mosul was taken over by ISIS in June 2014. For the last two and a half years, it's estimated one million inhabitants have been living under their harsh Sharia law. The Iraqi army, backed by US and European advisers have pushed north into Mosul and are now on the outskirts of the city. It seems the campaign is going really well. That seems to be the perception. That's certainly the messaging that's being put out by the Iraqi authorities and the officers. And it's quite hard to get kind of an independent glimpse of what's going on inside Mosul. But I think some of what we're hearing is suggesting that it's, I mean, it's certainly pretty tough fighting. And I think what some of the, the, the soldiers on the ground will tell you in more unguarded moments was that they were led to believe it would not be as tough as it's been for them so far. Certainly the, uh, the fighting has been intense. Um, and there's been some, um, some really interesting reports come out in the past couple of weeks. You had the, uh, the CBS team in, in Mosul, um, pretty much cut off with a, a bunch of soldiers for about 28 hours, I think. And, and you saw a lot of um, casualties in that clip. And um, there was a BBC team as well that were inside Mosul. And some of the footage they showed, you know, gave a real sense of how intense the fighting is and, and just how difficult an environment it is to be fighting in. Yeah, I mean, and, and they're only on the outskirts, I mean, when they actually get into the city. Yeah, I think an important thing that, um, to understand about Mosul is it's, it's a city on the Tigris, and it's, it's got the river running through it, so it divides it into the left bank and the right bank. And so Iraqi forces are on the left bank of Mosul at the moment, on the east side. And what's always been said about Mosul is that's more kind of the liberal side. It had more minority um, populations. It had, you know, Kurds and, and other people living there. And so it was considered to be less a kind of a 
ISIS stronghold in the west side of Mosul, which is where more of the population is. Um, and it's got the old town, it's got narrow streets, um, and it's, I think that's where they're expecting the resistance to be tougher. And Iraqi forces haven't entered the west part of Mosul yet. So they've got forces coming up from the south, but they're still about 10 miles away from the city. So it's only on the east bank where Iraqi forces have actually entered Mosul so far. And they have been fighting. It sounds like the fighting has been quite intense. Um, but that's not where they expect the fighting to be toughest. And what's what's the um, what's the impact on the refugees? Have you seen a lot of them turning up in in, in Erbil and, and surrounding areas? They're mostly being taken to camps. So about seventy percent of them at the moment are being taken to camps, and I think the other thirty percent are kind of getting displaced one village over, and then the fighting finishes, and they may return home. So there's been about thirty-five thousand displaced in this current phase of the operation, which began on October 17. So that's, in a sense, that's um, it's lower figures than what the UN were worried about. You know, but, So they've been talking about maybe a million people uh, could be displaced at a, a worst-case scenario. And so th th those kind of scenarios have not been playing out so far. And I think basically people don't want to leave their homes. They are hearing that you know that they're not going to have a great time living in in camps, so they really don't want to if they can avoid it. And also, the Iraqi government knows that they can't take care of a million people living in camps. I mean, there's no space that you know they have space in camps. I think for about sixty-five thousand people, so there's there's nowhere to put these people. So basically, they're being told to stay in their homes um, and to try and stay away from ISIS fighters. So obviously, if you're in a you know, heavily built up urban environment like Mosul as can possibly be kind of con contradictory pieces of advice to stay in your home yet stay away from the fighting. But anyway, that, that's what they're being told. But yeah, there, there are um, people fleeing and telling pretty grim stories. And you're also getting a sense as well that there's um, been quite high civilian casualties, although no one seems to have figures for just how many people might have been wounded and killed so far during the fighting. And have you seen, when you've been out and about, have you seen many um, US or European uh, soldiers advising the, the, the Kurds and others? So personally, I've seen the, the, um, the American special forces out um, several times. Mostly they've been traveling in their MRAPs, their big um, mine-resistant ambush protected vehicles. Um, on the first day of the uh, offensive on October 17th, I saw them, they, they were set up in a, in a house in a town called Shaholi, which is on the Erbil Mosul Highway. That was at the uh, furthest point of the advance on the first day. And since then, they've, they've built a, a camp on the, um, on the Mosul Erbil Highway. And so I've seen them traveling to and from there, but I haven't actually seen them, you know, operating on a, on a front line personally, but have seen you know, pictures of um, them sort of in action, um, which, you know, su suggests that they're taking a pretty active role in the fighting. And as a journalist, in, in, as a conflict, how, how easy is it to cover? Well, I mean, I, I've been living here for about two years, and for most of that time in Erbil, there's just been a handful of Western journalists based here. You've always had people kind of coming 
and going. But for most of the time, there's been about half a dozen of us living here. Um, but in the past month or so, there's been this huge influx of Western journalists coming to cover this story. Um, you know, probably one or two hundred um, journalists here at the moment. Um, so it means whenever you go out now, um, there are always other journalists around, and you know, staff journalists for you know big publications, and they have their own security teams and uh, armored vehicles and so forth. So that they really have the resources to cover it. Yeah. Um, and what's that? That for a freelancer, that kind of means that the prices have been driven up a lot um, with working with drivers and translators and fixers. Um, so in the past, you might be paying a, a couple of hundred dollars a day for driving and translation and fixing. Now you might be, they might be asking for $600 for a day. But I think generally, you know, that, that it's been pretty well covered. And I think as a freelancer, you kind of have to think, you know, what can I add here when you've got the big stuff, you know, the big publications sending teams in, they've got the best access, they've got the best security um, and they've got all the resources behind them, and they do a really good job. Um, so it's, I don't think it's a great conflict to be covering a, as a freelance journalist at the moment, because it's also it's, um, it's really dangerous. And um, the Iraqis have, have been pretty good, I would say, with allowing access um, to front lines to the extent that quite a lot of journalists have got themselves into really dangerous situations. Um, there's been at least a dozen uh, Western and local journalists injured so far. Um, two local journalists have been killed um, in, this, in this current phase of the conflict. Um, and it, it's very unpredictable out there. So the Iraqi army will advance into an area, um, but that doesn't mean that everything behind is, is safe. And so we've seen on several occasions, well, quite it's a very common tactic of ISIS that they will leave behind guys um, in hiding, whether in a, a house or in a tunnel they've built, and then they they will reappear behind the lines, um, often as suicide bombers, and you know they can be up to a week after an area has been cleared. And uh, there'll be another bombing in that area, so it's very unpredictable and it's quite dangerous, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I saw some incredible footage from CNN when they were when the thing you mentioned when they were they were kind of held down for 28 hours, and then I saw that ISIS TV were actually covering it from the other side, which is, I mean, unprecedented, really. Yeah, and and certainly I think you know catching you know for ISIS capturing. Um, some Western journalists would be a great, um, you know, propaganda coup and, and potentially a bit of leverage for them. Yeah. And I, I do think that journalists should also be really kind of wary at this point of not becoming the story yourself, which is, um, you know, I was speaking with a, an Iraqi officer about, um, you know, visiting, visiting, going to the front line with them in the Mosul. And, uh, and that was one of the things he said to me, you know, we don't, want you guys to be the story, to be getting in trouble, to be drawing resources away from from the operation. And I actually think um, there is some there is some sense to what he was saying there. And, you know, I think if, for TV journalists, obviously, you need to be there capturing dramatic footage. Um, and that's true as well for photographers. I think for writers, 
um, it's often a bit limited what you can actually um, get from being right at a front line. And, um, you know, it's very confusing. It, it, it's difficult to see what's happening, to understand what's happening. And I think, you know, sometimes as writers, we can, um, we can do the story from a little bit further away and um, do a perfectly good job of that. Have you seen in a bill lots of freelancers coming in who perhaps have less experience and kind of getting into trouble in that respect? Yeah, and, and that's certainly something that's been happening. And I'm sure that you know every conflict has its share of uh, eager young journalists who are keen to cut their teeth and, and get a bit of experience. And, and that's certainly happening here um, with young people coming out, inexperienced guys coming out. And you're, being a freelance journalist, it's a very difficult market to, um, to crack into. You know, it certainly favors um, you know, the experienced freelancer. And so I think when you're trying to get your, your start, you think, you know, what's a way that I can kind of get ahead or you know, make a, a break? And I think a lot of people see covering a conflict as like a, a way of kind of jump-starting your career um, and, you know, taking risks as a way of kind of getting the most dramatic um, story. And also, I mean, it's very accessible here. You can get on a plane uh, from a, a load of locations, fly via Istanbul, get here cheaply. Uh, you don't need any particular kind of press accreditation. And then, you know, if you team up with a, a bunch of other people, you can, you know, be at a, a front line within an hour of leaving Erbil. You know, how do you implement government rule in a place like that where that yeah, just hasn't existed for two and a half years. Yeah, so I, I mean, for me, the real interesting story will be how justice and accountability will be pursued once the Iraqi army takes control of Mosul and, and you know, drives ISIS out and, you know, they stop being a, a force which, you know, holds territory and, and goes back to being a, a more kind of um, typical kind of Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Insurgency. So that was Campbell. Now we're going to talk to Rawaz Salehi. She's on the outskirts of Mosul meeting refugees as they leave the city. The UN estimated there would be one million people potentially that could leave the city as the campaign intensifies. But so far, it's only been in the tens of thousands. Those who have come out have told horrific stories about their life under ISIS rule. The people from areas that are yet to be retaken um, start to fear for their lives, quite literally, from the mortars, airstrikes. Um, they start to sneak out. They start to flee yeah. towards areas that are already under army control. Um, or it's uh, when forces enter the village and then they go around the streets, they either knock on doors or um, you know, speak on loudspeakers, asking people to come out, lifting white banners. Right. Um, and then people are in either stay if they can. Most people prefer to stay, but they are either asked by the armed forces to move out because it's, they call it a front line, or they choose to move out to be moved to a safer area because the airstrikes, sorry, because um, shelling, because mortars are still going on, and IS uh, or the Islamic State is still. Um, sort of targeting that village. And then they are either um, taken in army, quite literally lorries, so put on lorries and bus to, to taken to what they call the Sakr or the line of the Peshmerga, so the Kurdish forces, right. and then taken to the camp. Or they are um, sort of escorted in their cars um, by army Humvees or army Hamas tanks to the Peshmerga checkpoint, where then the Peshmerga then escorts them to the to the camp. Um, a lot of people, when they arrive, are having to sleep in large, large tents, all in one group, or simply on the floor, and covered with um, uh, covering in blankets. So just there out in the out, the out the space, the outdoor space, um, which is really, really difficult for them, as you can imagine. After having to having walked, escaped shelling, you know, um, they have children with them. Iraq gets very hot in the in the summer and very very cold. It's a very um, sort of uh, sharp wind. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, there's children with them, the elderly, disabled, um, and then people, a lot of people. You know, some, we've met families who have had two blankets for five members. And, and we have to acknowledge that it's not, it doesn't really fall on the authorities. It's not the authorities' fault. It's just how quickly aid can be delivered. Yeah, of course. There's a very bad system for queuing. So people queue randomly, and then when queues break up, you know, they start to queue somewhere else. There's no way of knowing where it starts and where it ends. There's a lot of pushing and shoving. Mm. Um, you know, we, we see, you know, when pickups, pickup trucks come with water, you know, children chase it. It's just really, really bad condition. And it's quite sad to witness. For example, a family I spoke to, the father is disabled, so he can't work. And uh, as, as you must have, heard, must have heard, people pull their kids out of uh, school because the, the schools are made, the, the curriculum is mostly based on how to fight, how to behead, um, and the, and the interpretation of that armed group of Islam. Yeah. And people are quite worried about it, not only because they don't want the children to be brainwashed and drained, but also because, you know, they, they're scared of the repercussions afterwards. And you know, there's a lot of dependence on uh, uh, informants 
you know, by the armed forces to figure out who is with Daesh and who is not. So they fear that their children, especially teenage boys, if they're seen to go to these schools or mosques, that they will be deemed as a member of the IS. So in turn, these kids, these young boys, uh, obviously women are not allowed to leave the house at all. Um, these young boys then sell things by the roadside, visit sweets, uh, homemade, you know, sweets or nuts or anything. And so we hear stories like they're being they're being given lashes for not being able to pay a fine. Um, things like thirty dollars. For a month, which they couldn't afford, and they're being given 40 lashes a day. And these children still go back next day to sell things because they simply have no food. Mm. Um, families tell us that everything, everything that we did was to make sure we can find food to eat. So selling their clothes, selling their you know mattresses, curtains, very basic things. Anything they could that could be they could sell, they sold for food. And there's a lack of things like petrol, gas, so they break their furniture apart and make fire. Mm. To, to cook on it. Um, so a lot of horror stories like that. And I suppose my last question would be, obviously, as a researcher, when you're out there covering these stories, how, how easy is it to work in, in the camps near Mosul and, you know, the access and, and, uh, and so on? So access is actually, in, in the Kurdistan region of Iraq, um, access is a matter of arranging um, things prior. Uh, we, we, as Amnesty International, we work very transparently. The authorities are aware that we're here. Um, we have an understanding with them that this is the kind of work we do, the methodology um, that we have, that we have to speak to people ourselves. Mm. We don't rely on any other sources except the primary source. Now, it's a, it's a, I can say there's quite a lot of paranoia. We have seen a camp, the main camp in Nainawa province is heavily militarized. Um, even the managers of the camp, you know, try to insist to move around with you. And uh, we explain to them, we, we spend a great deal of time explaining our methodology, which ultimately seeks to protect witnesses and our sources. So the only comparison I can give is from the beginning to now, now, military is everywhere and then there's a lot more players in, involved so in the Nineveh province we have tribal mobilization forces which we have documented abuses by um, unfortunately against their own tribes and there's the uh, Shia-led militias which is the popular mobilization unit there's army force Iraqi army forces mm. there's local police so there's a lot more players a lot more actors that you have to negotiate with in order to gain access somewhere so that's the situation on the ground in Mosul. Check out ibtimes.co.uk for Summer Campbell's articles. This is our first podcast, so any feedback would be welcome, and please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Tune in next week for the next instalment of In the Field. But for now, I'm Orlando Crowcroft, world editor at ibtimes.co.uk. Take care. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. 
Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.